So if you have your Bibles, <clears throat> excuse me, or electronic devices, you can turn with me uh, to Matthew, Matthew chapter 4. We've been in this Dive Deep series, and we've been, we've been looking at some topics. We've been looking at some subjects about, about how we dive deeper, how we dive deeper into, into our faith. And so this weekend, and it, and it just worked that way, this weekend, uh, the, the name of the, uh, the title of the message is The War. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about temptation. And so it may be an appropriate message to talk about as we're headed into Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving meal and all that other stuff. Uh, that's, just the way it, that's just the way it worked. I didn't plan this. It just, it just kind of worked that way. And so I want to talk to you about this issue of temptation. What does temptation look like? Because if you're going to dive deeper in your Christian faith, then we as believers, we have to understand temptation. We have to understand the role of temptation um, in, in our life. And, uh, and understand how to, how to win the war, how to win the battle of temptation. So we're going to look at, we're going to go through four, 11 verses in Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to look at how Jesus was tempted. And we're going to look at how Jesus uh, came up against that temptation, how he won over temptation, that Jesus, what the scripture says, Jesus was tempted, but he was, he was without sin. And so we're just going to walk through these together, and then, then we're going to look at some things. And so, so Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, here's what the scripture says. It says, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness uh, to be tempted by the devil or to be tempted by, by Satan. So this is following, this is following his baptism. This is following the 40 days of, of, of prayer and fasting in the desert. And then the scripture says that, that Satan appeared to him. And, and we, don't know, we don't know in what form. We just know that Satan appeared to him. And so sometimes it's hard for us, I think, it's hard for us to imagine God, imagine Jesus being tempted. But yet this is what we see in the scriptures. The scripture says that, that Jesus, Jesus was tempted and Jesus was tempted in every way just as we were uh, and as we are. And so Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 4.15, says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every way and in every respect has been tempted. So he's talking about Jesus. Jesus is a high priest. He and so he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So the difference was this. The difference is Jesus was tempted, but Jesus did not sin. Uh, Jesus had a deep commitment and, uh, to the Father and to, to be obedient. And so Jesus didn't sin. So Jesus was, con was tempted in every way, just as we are, so he can sympathize with us, he can understand. So Satan came to Jesus, and we don't know in what form, but Satan came to Jesus, and he tempted Jesus in three different ways, the same three different ways that, that Satan has been tempting people from, from creation, from Genesis, and that is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. In other words, uh, when, you're, when, when you're watching football this afternoon, uh, since the Broncos are on a bye, then I'm sure you're all going to watch the Cowboys and the Ravens, right? Yeah, that's just like, yeah, like two of you. <laughs> I, so, so, I, so I feel the love, right? So I, and, so, and, uh, and so that's why in our house, that's how we know we've had a good Thanksgiving is when the Cowboys beat the Redskins, so you can think of me through that as well. And so, uh, but when you're watching football, you, you can take the commercials. Listen, I'm telling you, uh, advertisers, people that understand marketing, understand temptation i believe a lot better than than many believers and when you you could take commercials you can take commercials whether it's football whether it's like the hallmark channel for those of you that watch the hallmark channel or any of those other channels and you can see that that 
basically they're using three different things to tempt you. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, or pride of life. Or the desire to be happy, to be rich, to be important, to have power. And so Matthew chapter two, uh, 4, verse 2, all of a sudden Satan begins to tempt Jesus. And, and he says, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, listen, when you, when you look at that temptation on the surface, it may seem innocent enough. I believe most temptations start off like that. It starts off like that. Like, you know what? What, what is really the big deal? I mean, God really doesn't care. God really doesn't care what I do with my time. He really doesn't care what I do with my money. He really doesn't care what I say. He really doesn't care what I do with my body. God really doesn't care. And a lot of times temptations start off and they seem innocent enough or they seem like it's really no big deal. But what, what Satan was tempting Jesus to do, he was tempting Jesus not to trust God. He was tempting Jesus not to trust God for his provisions. He was tempting Jesus to satisfy his physical appetites any way in other words don't wait on God's provisions don't wait on God's timing if it feels good just just do it live life your own way and Satan comes to us with the same appeal in the verse 4 here's Jesus's response so he answered it is written that phrase it is written is really really important uh, as he walks through this and so he says it is written man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God in other words, Jesus is saying there's something way more important than satisfying my, my, my physical needs. And that is satisfying my heavenly father. That's way more important. And so verse 5, we just keep walking through this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down far. It is written. So now Satan is going to twist scripture. He's going to rip scripture out of context. He says, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you on their hands. Um, they, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against, against a stone. In other words, this, this, is, this is the temptation of, of gaining, gaining worldly popularity or worldly power by worldly means. In other words, Satan was tempting him um, to, to not live obedient to what God had called him to do. And so verse 7, Jesus answered him, says, again, it is written. In other words, Jesus understood scripture. Jesus knew the word. That's why it's so important. We talk about life journaling here. We talk about life groups here. We talk about the importance of knowing God's word. This is why it's important. And so Jesus comes back and says, well, again, it's written. You shall not put the Lord your God to, to the test. So then Satan took him up to a high mountain, verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And so Satan told him that if you will bow down and worship me, I, I will give you these things. And, and, and that, was, that was partially true because he's the prince of the world. That was partially true. See, there, there, there's a temptation. There's a temptation that people can have to gain worldly possessions by, uh, by compromising their beliefs or compromising their, their principles or compromising their relationship to the Lord. And so Satan is like whispering to Jesus and he's tempting him that, that Jesus, you don't, you don't like have a home. You don't have possessions. And, 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 and I can give you all of these things. I can give you money. I can give you a home. I can give these possessions if you will just, if you will just worship me. In verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only uh, shall you serve. 
Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And, 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 and Scripture says that, that Satan decided to come back to him at a, at a more opportune time. So that tells me that, that none of us ever get to the place to where we're like no longer tempted, right? I mean, you and I need to understand this morning that, that one thing that we all have in common, every one of us is tempted. It doesn't matter how spiritually mature you are, how old you are, how long you've been a Christian, any of those things. Listen, temptation, temptation in of itself is not sin. It's what you do with that act. It's what you do with the temptation that makes it sin. Temptation isn't sin. Listen, if you are being tempted, if you are tempted right now, that does not make you a bad person. It makes you human. And so just so we understand, every one of us are tempted. But I, I want to help you with this. I want to help you in, in, in real terms and um, in, in real life experiences of how do you win, how do you win the battle? How do, you, how do you win the war? I mean, you look at Jesus' model, and Jesus won. I mean, Jesus was like, like he never committed any sins. And he was a perfect sacrifice for us. So, so if you're going to win the battle, here's, here's the first thing. You've got to understand temptation is inevitable. In other words, temptation is going to happen. Temptation is a part of life. Temptation doesn't mean that you're bad. Temptation means that you're human. And regardless of the level of spiritual maturity that you and I have, we're going to continually be tempted in this life, regardless. Now listen, one of the interesting things about Fellowship of the Rockies is, is we reach people from all different denominations, from all different spiritual backgrounds, and some from no spiritual backgrounds. And so, so a, a, a while back, we, we, reached, we reached a family from a, from a different denomination, and they came in. And uh, I didn't even know this denomination taught this, uh, but this lady came in and she says, you know what, that's interesting about temptation, that, that my denomination taught me that, that we can get to the place to where we're, we're, like, we're like, we no longer sin. And, and, I, and, and I says, well, how, how long has it been since, like, you've been tempted? And she says, oh, I'm at this spiritual place to where I'm no longer tempted even to sin. And so there, there's a biblical word for that, baloney. Uh, <laughs> it, comes, it comes from the Greek word baloney. <laughs> that makes it sound real spirit, spiritual, right? Whenever you quote a Greek word and say, yeah, it came from the, the, the Greek word baloney, where we get the word baloney, and that's what that means. Listen, I'm telling you, you will never get to the place. I'm tempted. It doesn't matter whether you're a pastor. It doesn't matter whether you're an elder. It doesn't matter whether you're a deacon. It doesn't matter whether you're a ministry partner, a, a life group leader. It doesn't matter temptation is a part of life. And so you, you look at Jesus and you realize that, that, that Satan came to him when Jesus was very susceptible to, 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 to give up. Jesus didn't, but he was susceptible. He was alone. He was lonely. He was hungry. He was idle. He was tired. He was exhausted. And, and you've got to understand this about temptation. There are times we're more vulnerable than other times. There are times when we're stressed or we're, 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 we're frustrated or we're tired or we just want to give up or we're idle. And so, so this tells me, when you look at Jesus, this tells me that we never get beyond the place to where we're no longer tempted. Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9. He said, but if I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, if the apostle Paul was tempted... If Jesus was tempted, then, then temptation is a part of the spiritual life. Um, 
righteousness and righteous living, right living, lies not in the absence of temptation, but in, in the strength to resist, in the strength to like win the war. Um, temptation, if we just try to find like this working definition of temptation, uh, temptation could be defined as the, the opportunity to do evil that is appealing. And temptation is just not the opportunity to do evil. It's the opportunity uh, that, that is appealing to you. Um, see, a lot of times we have this misconception about temptation. We think temptation is an outside job. We think temptation is all these external things coming into our life that are tempting us. And the Bible tells us this. In fact, it's James tells us we're going to walk through some of James' passages. But James tells us this. Temptation is an inside job, not an outside job. In other words, if you don't desire it, it's not a temptation. In other words, what James tells us is you've got to understand, I've got to understand if you're going to win the war on temptation, that, it, that it's, an in, it, it's an inside job. Temptation is this. Temptation is an opportunity plus desire. In other words, you and I, if you are tempted to something, you cannot say, you know what, I don't know why I'm being tempted with that. I don't really desire it. That's a false belief. I mean, there, there's some things that I'm tempted uh, and, and you're not. There's some temptations that you have that I don't have because we're, we're different people, right? I mean, you could take, and I don't care what flavor, you could take a bucket of, 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 of ice cream and you can put a bucket of ice cream in front of me and I, I'll never really be tempted. But you can take a bucket of fried chicken and put it in front of me and I will lose my mind. Now, you may not be tempted to fried chicken. You may be tempted. I, I'm telling you, uh, we're all different. Temptation is this issue. Temptation is this opportunity plus desire. And we can all have t different temptations. You may not, and you probably don't, have the same temptations as your spouse. And your spouse doesn't have the same temptations as you. And we have to understand this. Temptation is an opportunity plus desire. I mean, the Bible tells us over and over that it, it's something within us. In fact, is that's that's where that's that's where the war is um galatians 5 13 the scripture says for you were called to freedom brothers only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for flat for the flesh in other words do not live life and say well you know what god forgives me what is the big deal god's gonna forgive me god says he's gonna forgive me so really what is the big deal but through love serve one another Paul wrote this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. He says, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desire. So all of a sudden, we see that word there. Desire is an inside job. Desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. So now we see the battle. Now we see the war. And the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. And so he, never does the scripture says that, that we will never get to the place where we won't have temptation. So, so we need to understand there's like this war going on inside of us, this war of our, our desires to, to follow God, to, to be obedient to him, to make the right decisions, to make the right choices. So, so the first thing you and I have to understand, if, if we're going to understand this war, if we're going to win the battle, then we have to understand that temptations are going to come in life. It's a part of life. It's just, it's just going to happen. The second thing is this, we have to understand yielding to temptation is lethal. We have to come to that place to where we understand, you know what, making that decision and choosing to give in to that temptation is deadly or it, it, it's lethal 
for even on, on the surface, it may seem harmless. I mean, if, if Jesus had, had a given in, if Jesus had a yielded to temptation and turned turn stones into bread, that would have, he would have been disobedient and he would not have been the perfect sacrifice for our, our sins. And so many times I, I watch believers play with temptation like it's, you know, on the surface. It's, really, it's, just, really, it's just really no big deal. A lot of Christians that, that live their life and they just want to know, how far into sin can I go and still consider myself a Christian? How far, how far can I go and still get to go to heaven, in other words? And Galatians 6, 7 says this, says, do not be deceived. In other words, temptation is not harmless. Sin is not harmless. Even on the surface, as harmless as it appears, it is not harmless. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, it's just so important. This, this, this is the principle all through Scripture. This is the principle of sowing and reaping. And I need to tell you, the Scripture is going to tell you this. You always reap more than you sow, unfortunately. This principle of sowing and reaping goes all the way through Scripture. You give forgiveness, you'll receive forgiveness. You give grace, you'll receive grace. Um, you give out of your material possessions, give and it shall be given to you. You give love, you will receive love. I mean, it's all, it's all, it is all through Scripture. And so that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. It's a promise. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. In other words, he talks about this, this principle of reaping and or sowing and, 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 and reaping and, and the, the pain of reaping always exceeds the pleasure of sowing. That's why you have people that will say when they're into the, 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 the consequences of sin or the consequences of the decision, that's why you'll hear people look at you and say, I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never made that decision. I wish I'd never gotten involved in that relationship. I wish I'd never said yes to that. I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd never started doing this. And Because you know, what they're telling you is, is the pain exceeded the pleasure of the sowing. And so Scripture says. And so James helps us to understand this, this spiral of, of, of temptation, this spiral of sin, and the reason that it's just so dangerous. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 14, he's, or, so, I'm sorry, starting in verse 13. He said, Not lo let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. So when you say, I, I, I just can't believe this, God put this person in my path, and he's tempting me, God, listen, God tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires, so temptation is an inside job. You have to desire it for it to be a temptation, right? Nobody's tempted to eat, eat rice cakes, right? Nobody's tempted to eat kale chips, right? I meant nobody. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> then desire, <laughs> when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And so there, there's a downward spiral. 
So I, I want to walk you through this. I want to give you this downward spiral. The first one is this. It's appealing. Sin, sin is appealing. And it, it's, just, it's just appealing. In other words, he uses, he uses two terms. They're fishing terms. Lured and enticed by, by bait. In other words, that, that a fisherman, when a fisherman goes fishing, and if you fish, you know this, you take the worm or you take a fly or you take the bait and you, you, cover, you, you cover the hook. You hide the hook. Uh, you hide the hook, you hide the line uh, from the fish because what you want the fish to see is something that the fish desires and you use, you use bait that the fish desires, right? I've told you this story many years back. I was fly fishing with a guy and he was like, he was like out there. He was like this mountain guy and, and so we're fly fishing and the first fish that he catches, he pulls out of his pouch. He has a, a stomach pump for fish. I, I think it really, it was a turkey baster, but he, he, took the, he took and he pumped the fish's stomach. He sucked the, the stuff out of the stomach and he put it in the palm of his hands and he's like going through it and he's picking out the flies and then he he changes his fly to match what the fish is eating. And then he also ate one of the bugs for, for good luck. And so I didn't share in that. I said, it's all, I don't care if you catch more fish than me. It is not worth it. And so, uh, and so when you fish, you're using a bait that the fish desires. And what you're doing, you're hiding the hook. You're hiding the line. And so it's, you're hiding the consequences. See, that's the dangerous thing about temptation. That's the dangerous thing about temptation. I really believe if we could see the hook going in, we wouldn't do it. I really believe that if we could unfold the consequences where that's going to end, disrespecting a family, broken relationships, loss of job, loss of income, all of those other things, I believe if we could see that going in, we wouldn't do it. it, it it'd be like a It'd be like a no-brainer. So the first thing is this, it's appealing. The second thing is this, it is pleasurable in action. I mean, that's one reason. That's one reason we desire it. And, but but here's what the Bible says: it's only pleasurable for a, a short time. That's what Hebrews says. Hebrews says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Sin is pleasurable for a, a short time, and then comes de destruction. In other words, this it's temporary. And here's the crazy thing: nobody can tell you how long that is. It, there's a time between sowing and reaping, right? If, if you plant it, you know that. There's a time when you plant seed, and then it, then it takes time. It takes time for that plant to be full grown, and it takes time uh, for, for the harvest to come, and there's a period. And guess what? Nobody can tell you. Nobody can tell you what that time frame looks like. So it's pleasurable in action. And then comes insensitivity. Then comes insensitivity where you, be, you just become insensitive. You become insensitive to God's word. You become insensitive to, uh, to God himself. You, become, you can become insensitive to friends that are around you that say, don't do it. You, you change directions and all of those other things. I mean, when we sin and when, we, when a person sins and there's not immediate consequences and they don't feel guilty, a lot of times they think, you know what, I, I'm, what's the big deal? God must not care. And a lot of people think they're getting by with it. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says this, because the sentence against evil, evil deed, is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of men is fully set to do evil. I mean, we see this all through Scripture. We see, that, we see this in, in King David's life, right? Uh, King, David, King David had an affair. And uh, he, he had an affair, and then Bathsheba became, became pregnant. Um, and so she becomes pregnant, and so then they decided, okay, we're, we're going to cover it up. And so he has her husband killed, 
Uh, they moved Bathsheba into the house. And you know what? There was a time in David's life that he thought, you know what? Nobody knows but me and Bathsheba. We're the only ones that know. But the problem is God knows. And God knew. And there wasn't immediate consequences. Fact is, it, it was nine months later. And all of a sudden it came out. And all of a sudden it became public. I'm telling you, the scripture says over and over and over, no one gets away with it. The psalmist, Psalm, this is just free, Psalm 73, we, says that when we do that, our life is now like on a slippery rock. I don't know if you've ever walked in the river. I don't know if you've ever walked on slippery rocks, but it is on a slippery rock and you don't know when you're going to fall. The, the next one is this, is it, it, it becomes addictive. It becomes addictive. A lot of times we talk about drugs and we talk about alcohol and we, we talk about the addiction that is a part of them, but have you ever thought that sin is potentially addictive? Whether it's lying, whether it's stealing, whether it's, whether it's gossip, whether it's gambling, whether it's pornography, whether it's slander, whether it's whether it's adultery, listen, life. What, what have you ever have you ever thought about that? It just becomes, just becomes addictive. It, it, it becomes it becomes a, a way of life. Jesus said in John chapter eight verse thirty four. He said he said and Jesus answered truly truly I say to you, everyone who practices sin is is a slave to sin. That's like a that's like a huge statement. See, we, we were born to be, uh, we were, when we were born again, when we became Christians, we're, we're to be free. And all of a sudden, Jesus uses a term that whoever practices sin is like a slave to sin. And, and that brings us to the last one, sin ends in death. Sin ends in death. Sin, when it's full grown, will give birth to, to death. And maybe, maybe not physical death, but, but relational death. Death to, death to marriages, death to relationships, death to, to honor and respect, death, maybe death to a, a job or profession or a career, respectability or, or all of those other things. See, see, James said the same thing. Jesus said the same thing, that you become a slave to sin. See, see when the consequences come, like, like for the fish, when the hook is set, the fish now becomes a slave to who? The fisherman. Prior to that, that fish could swim anywhere in the river, upstream, downstream, anywhere in the river. But once the consequences came, once the hook was set, that fish is now, now a slave to that fisherman. And that fisherman can drag that fish all over the river wherever he wants him to go, even into like the frying pan. <laughs> I heard an amen, thank you. <laughs> and so we can die. We can die to conscience. We can die to... Die to uh, purity. Karen and I were, uh, just a real quick story and we'll move on, but to the last one, but Karen and I were, were in Alaska and we did one of those excursions and we did a, like an excursion on a dog sled team. And, and so they were talking about wolves and, and, and uh, wolves were, are really dangerous to a, a dog sled team and they'll come in and kill the dogs and the dogs are expensive and they're their livelihood and all those other things. And so I know it's gross to think about, but, but the early Eskimos, the way that they protected their, their dogs from, from wolves is they would take and they would Put they would take a, a double-edged knife and they would take this double-edged knife and they would take layers of blood and keep putting layers of blood and freezing layers of blood on that double-edged knife. Then they would take that knife and they would take the knife handle and they would bury it in the ground. 
And so the wolf would be drawn by the scent of blood, and the wolf would, would be so overcome by the addictive power of that blood and the scent of blood, the, the wolf would continue to lick and lick and lick and lick that blood all the way down to the double-edged knife. And he would keep licking even though it was painful and ended in the wolf's death because he would just bleed out. That's what sin does. That's what sin does. That's why it's hard sometimes to speak into someone's life that is so deceived about, man, you're, you're, you're going down a bad road. This isn't going to end well for you. This, because of the downward spiral. The third and the last thing is this, is that victory is possible, but it, it takes discipline. Victory is possible, but it, it takes discipline. Jesus demonstrated that it's possible to say no to to, um, to temptation. And, and, and there's just so many people as Christians that come to the place in their life and they have this, they have this defeatist view towards sin. And listen, you don't have to, you're, you're a believer. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And so you, do, you don't have to have this defeatist, defeatist attitude. But there's so many people that will have this defeatist attitude of, about the sin. But the scripture says that victory is possible. 1 Corinthians 10 13. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now listen, God will always give you ex escape. He will always give you a way out. And so you have, you have to be disciplined. It's just like the athlete who disciplines his body, uh, whether it's in it, whether it's in a exercise, whether it's in a workout room, whether it's whether it's disciplined from eating certain foods, so that so that he he can win. The same is true in the Christian life. So let me let me give you some strategy. I mean. I don't know if you were like this, we were like this with our kids, is that we would try to help our kids when they got into a situation where a stranger came up and talked to them. Uh, we wanted them to know in advance how they should handle that and what they should do. And so, so what the scripture says is, is the one, one of the ways that you win the battle, you win the war, is a strategy. And so, so let me give those to you. Here, here's just a few. First is, you have to map out your strategy in, the, in, in advance. You have to map out your strategy in, the in advance. The flesh is very difficult to defeat without advanced preparation. In other words, you've you got to think through. You cannot wait to the heat of the moment and decide what you're going to do. You cannot wait till the temptation comes to decide how you're going to respond and how you're going to act. Um, remember Potiphar's wife and Joseph? And Joseph was handsome, and he was like living in their home, and, and she tried to seduce him, and he kept re rejecting her, and she finally grabs him, and uh, he runs out and leaves his coat there. Listen, Joseph, obviously, when you read the text, he obviously had mapped out his strategy before it ever happened. You cannot wait till the temptation comes to map out your strategy. Your emotions will not allow you to do that. The second thing is this. Learn to avoid temptation if possible. Understand your temptations. Understand your triggers in life. Understands. Listen, my temptations are probably different than your temptations, and your temptations are different than mine. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make me a bad person. We're just different people. Second Timothy chapter two verse twenty-two says, "So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a from a pure heart." In other words, it. It's not smart to pray, Lord, do not lead me into temptation, and then to go looking for it. 
man, if you have trouble with alcohol, if you have trouble with drinking, then just stay away from it. Stay away from certain parties. Don't have it in your home. Don't have it accessible to you. Uh, watch the friends you hang out. Watch the places where you go. If, if, you, if you have temptation with gossip and slander, then guess what? Know when to end a conversation. Know when to hang up the phone. If, if you have problems with, with gluttony, don't go to the bakery sniffing around. And learn, I mean, learn, learn, learn your temptation. If you have, if you have problems with pornography, man, get a filter, get an, get an accountability, accountability partner to where it's, it, it sends to someone else, all of the websites that you visit. I'm telling you, you, you have, you have to understand this. A, a friend of mine who's a pastor, he's retired now in, 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 um, in Kentucky and he, he, he pastored a significant church there, um, and, and, and he told me about a situation this years back when he was still the pastor there, and, and he, says, he says, you know what, for years I've, I've gone to this cleaners, and, and he pastored this church for 30-something years, or, or actually over 40 by the time he retired, but he said, he said I, I had this cleaners, I was always going to this cleaners, and he said, then one day I pull up to the cleaners, and right next to the cleaners, they put one of those gentleman clubs, you know, a strip club, and so he said they, 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 they put a club there, and so he says, and I, I found myself being tempted. He said, uh, I would go and pull up and and I'd have my laundry and I'm like trying to look in the door when the door swings open I I'm trying to see him and he says I and he says it's like every time I, I pull up I'm like tempted not to go to the cleaners I am tempted and he says I was so shocked I'm tempted to go in there and so he says and then what scared me as I came to that place I started I started thinking, what's the big deal? I started trying to rationalize it, and I started thinking, you know what? After all, those girls need Jesus, and so, uh, and so may, <laughs> may, maybe, maybe I should go in there. And so he said, and he said, it scared me. He said, it scared me like my ministry flashed before me. And he said, so he said, you know what I did? I went home, and I told my wife. I'm telling you, we have to come to the place that we struggle with each other. That we struggle together. And I'm telling you, if your spouse comes to you and says, I'm tempted in this area, do not judge them, do not condemn them, because you know what you're forcing them to do? You are forcing them to go it alone. You're forcing them to go underground. Listen, we are one flesh. We should struggle together. Guess what? In church, we should develop Christian friends that we can struggle together. And we don't judge each other. It, it, temptation is not a sin. And so I asked my buddy later, I asked my buddy Bob, I says, well, you, you never told me, what'd you do? He said, oh, he said, I forgot to tell you. He said, I went home and told my wife I changed cleaners. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, just, you just avoid it. You avoid it if possible. The next thing is this, is repent immediately when you fall. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgression will not prosper, but who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. I'm telling you, the longer you wait to confess it, the harder your heart will become. Learn to confess it immediately. Learn to repent immediately. The next thing is be reinforced by God's word. I mean, God's word protects us from temptation. You've got to know his word. That's why life journaling, that's why life groups are, are so important that you just come to the place to where you, 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 know, you know his word. You know it's wrong. 
you know there's consequences. The next thing is this, is just, just learn, learn to be alert. Just learn to be alert. That none of us, listen, Corinthians tells us, be, be careful. Be careful when you say you will not fall. Be careful when you get that, to that place where you believe that you're, 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 you're not going to fall. The story, just real quickly, and then we'll close, about, about me is, is for, for many years, um, and, and I've gotten much better at it, for, but for many years I, I've struggled with just a temper. I've struggled with anger. I've struggled with it since childhood all the way up. And so I believe I'm maturing, and I, I believe I'm, I'm getting better in this area. But it, it, takes, it takes constant work. And so there was a time I, I was on the golf course. I'm playing golf, and, and so I always walk. And um, so I hit a ball in between two fairways. And so I'm in between two fairways. There's a foursome coming. They're, they're, they're in carts, two carts, and, uh, and they're driving. And they're, like, driving all over the place. And as they're coming down in between, they're, just, they're scooping up golf balls. And they, they pick up my golf ball, and I get mad. I get mad, so I'm like yelling at them, hey, that's my golf ball, that's my golf ball, and they're like laughing, waving at me, and they keep going. And so I'm like, I'm going to go get my golf ball. And I could have made a decision, just throw, I lose tons of golf balls, I could have put another golf ball down, it would have been no big deal, but I decided, nope, I'm getting my golf ball. So I start walking towards them, and so they make their way. They're on, they're on the green, and there's two on one side of the green and two on this side of the green. And so I walk up to the cart, and I say, hey, guys, I think, and I gave them the benefit of the doubt, I think you accidentally picked up my golf ball. And they go, no, we didn't get your golf ball. We were just picking up range balls. I said, well, range balls happen to be yellow. My golf ball's white. How could you make that mistake? And so then they, then they look at me. And then they said something, and so that uh, was not of a good attitude. And then I may or may not said something about their attitude and their swing that it was bad. And, <laughs> and, and so about that time, somebody from the other side of the green says, Pastor Charlie, is that you? I'm like, no. <laughs> Just coming down here to talk about Jesus. And so he yelled, guys, give him his golf ball. So they gave me the golf ball and went on. And so you, you have to, listen, you have to be alert. You have to understand the things that are tempting to you. The last one is this, is you have to keep your eye on the gold. James 1.12 said, blesses the man who remains steadfast under a trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who, who love him. In other words, we... In other words, you've got to keep your eye on the end result. You've got to keep your eye on the gold. You've got to remember why you're here. And temptation may be at times difficult to resist. But God has promised a crown of life to those who resist.